everybody. How we all doing? I'm Michael. I'm joined by Alex, as always. How's it going? And we're here with another episode of Falling Through Potholes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Good, good. I'm I'm doing pretty all right myself. Ate an entire bag of pop chips because that's you know that's the breakfast of champions when you want to talk about uh let's say about th- you know one and a half hours worth of uh worth of video game plot lines. Yeah, yeah, that that's what you do. Exactly, that gives you the fuel you need in order to talk about the hottest multimedia projects around. Which uh, got a we got a really good episode today. Oh, you said that word. That's right, I did. So this is going to be a two-parter, and like like always, the first part's going to be pretty darn normal overall, and then okay. we're going to get into that second part, and it's going to be like, oh my god, what's going on? But uh, Alex, first, I, I want to ask your thoughts, although I guess the groan kind of tells us everything we need to do, mm-hmm. we need to know, but uh, what are your thoughts on video game multimedia projects? Almost universally abject failures. Mm. Potentially cool. Like, I think it is potentially cool. I think the problem is it requires so much investment from both the creators and the consumers that it's almost never worth it. And it also makes it, like, age terribly Mm -hmm. when you need multiple sources of media to get the full experience or story. And one of those is just going to disappear before the others. And then one by one, they're going to go. And you, you know, you're going to be left with, even if one of those things is a standout classic, everything else surrounding it is just going to sort of fade out and you're going to be left with an incomplete experience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's something like a really good multimedia project is something that you don't need to experience all of it to get, Mm. get like full satisfaction from it. Right. Right. Like either just whatever the mainline thing is, whether it's like the main a mainline movie series or video game series or whatnot. Like if you do it right, then yeah, spinoff comic book could be pretty cool. Or, you know, like the audio play radio drama could be pretty neat to listen to. Right. But yeah, oftentimes it's what you just said. You need to experience everything in order to get the full story. And in that sense, it just leaves you very unsatisfied because who has time for all that? Right. And the history of multimedia projects, though, I, I find it very interesting, uh, particularly in the sense that as time has gone on, they become more ubiquitous and have moved away from the very standard, uh, I don't know, maybe there's a comic book or something realm right. that you saw in like in the late 90s. Uh, particularly nowadays, they're fascinating in just how diverse they are. Uh, Fortnite comes to mind as a real mm. innovator in this field. Right. In the sense that they actually rely more heavily on like crossovers for their multimedia aspects. And those multimedia aspects are actually built directly into the game, which I think is very, very smart. Yeah. Uh, Riot has also done a lot of work recently with what you could consider traditional multimedia work. Right. Uh, Yeah, with the Netflix show Arcane. Right. And that's apparently doing really well for them. And also untraditional in the sense that they have a heavy metal band and a pop group. Yes. Which is weird. That is interesting. Um, I think Riot benefits from the fact that you you're you don't care about any mm. sort of through line, so you're free to just sort of consume whatever seems interesting at whatever time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that ends up really helping out. And I think it also helps out because like nobody knows what actually goes on in League of Legends, right? Well, nothing nothing goes on 
No, yeah, I don't think so there we go. There, there's maybe been like ten canon matches of League of Legends in the game's history, or something. Mm. Like it, it, the, what happens in play doesn't matter. It's not real. Mm. Ah, yeah, that would go a long way to when you make an actual like Netflix show. It's like, well, no, this could just be our storyline vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. Although even so, that that show is in the past, so it's also a ah. prequel. Because <laughs> it can never be simple. No. <laughs> Alex, do you know what my favorite multimedia project is? Uh, I don't know. After Kiss Psycho Circus, this is going to have to be amazing. Well, it's not amazing. It's pretty bad. It's called The Cheetah Men. Have you ever heard of The Cheetah Men? I have not, no. So The Cheetah Men were part of a video game compilation called Action 52. Um, It had 52 games on them, all of them terrible because they were programmed by people I think who were typically used to working on like Apple products and they were just given it an NES dev kit and said, make 52 games. That that game sounds familiar. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a well known, um, uh, bad, terrible video game. Uh, it was also notable for being released in 1991 at a price point of $200. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That sounds familiar. Yeah, and the standout on there was the 52nd and final game, Cheetah Men, which was a cross between Captain N and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, like, <laughs> the person who, like, created the game, or, like, the main person who put the money into the game, I guess I should say more accurately, was really into the idea of the Cheetah Men being the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, my to God. To the point, yeah, it had its own short-lived comic book, and there was even an animated series in the works. <laughs> and sell the game flopped for reasons that I'm sure cannot be explained, and everything was quickly canceled. But the thing, Alex, that we touched on with all these multimedia projects is that if you have a good one, you often don't need to pay attention to anything other than the core product in order to get what's going on. Right. Various spinoffs might give some flavor here and there, but are otherwise unnecessary. Mm-hmm. But today, I'm sorry, a woodpecker flew into my window. That was weird. Oh, dear. It's- it seems to be fine. I think <laughs> it intended to do that, I guess. Okay. I'm going to try that again. So, <laughs> but the thing with most multimedia projects is that you often don't need to pay attention to anything other than the core product in order to get what's going on in the games or whatever the main media is. But today, we're talking about a franchise that didn't get that memo. We're going to be talking about one of the most influential series that no one knows what actually goes on in it. Alex, we're talking about Halo. I knew it. (laughs) God. (laughs) Oh, God. Ah, I'm so excited about it. I'm I'm very excited. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, man. Halo. Alex, what's your... Well, I know what your experience is with Halo, but why don't you explain to the audience what your experience with it is? So, um... Halo, Halo 1 might be one, it's probably one of my favorite games of all time, which isn't to say I think it's one of the best games of all time, um, but it's it's one of the ones I've probably played the most and have the most fond memories of. Uh, I mm-hmm. think Halo 1 is fantastic, and specifically Halo 1 uh, Combat Evolved, not the Anniversary Edition, which is a mm-hmm. marked step down. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Halo 1 is great. Uh, Halo 2, similarly fond of. Uh, mm. Love Halo 2. Halo 3, I think, 
my opinion is Halo 3 is actually the best of the Bungie, what I will call Bungie Master Chief trilogy. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that it's often sort of overlooked and understandably so. Um, I think it is, from a design standpoint, probably the best and most consistent. Um, Halo it's a very good game. Yes. It, great. Uh, Halo Reach is quite good. Uh, ODST, I did not particularly care for, but I can see why a lot of people liked it. And there's certainly a lot of charm to it. A lot of things that are worth liking. Mm. Halo 4 is when I quit the series because I <laughs> just know. Uh, just know. <laughs> Halo 5, I didn't bother with. And I'm side-eyeing Infinite. Because could be fun. It looks like it could be fun. But, mm, Mm. yeah yeah so we both have similar trajectories um although i never even touched halo 4 in the sense that i just never had a yeah you don't have to uh yeah, imagine never had halo Xbox one imagine halo 3 and then throw in a new enemy race that is the worst thing ever oh man i really cannot t wait until we talk about them because boy their backstory is really dumb but yeah their gameplay is just as bad great great <laughs> but since we're talking about halo the multimedia project those are the games mm -hmm. uh outside of the games i read fall of reach after mm -hmm. when uh halo one was pretty new i think after i played halo one uh very much enjoyed fall of reach i read half of first contact um which turned out not to matter uh, I read the first issue of the prequel comic to Halo 3 and got bored. Mm. I watched Forward Unto Dawn and very much enjoyed it, uh, unfortunately. And <laughs> I feel like that's the extent of my interaction with the outside media, the extended universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I never touched any of the multimedia stuff other than watching a little bit of the YouTube-exclusive Halo yeah. 4 series, um, of which there's there are multiple somehow. Uh, and, you know, having awareness of Halo Reach, of, you know, a lot of people in high school being like, you should read Halo Reach, it's so good, man. Which I'm sure it was, but it's like, I'm not... It was fun. Not, yeah. Yeah, it seemed like it was fun. It seemed like a good companion piece to Halo, but yeah. it's like, like listen, I I got the game. It's fine. That's yeah. all. That's all I personally need. But I, I can definitely tell you that the people at Microsoft and Bungie felt like yet needed all of that. Because well, let's let's be really fair. The people at Microsoft felt like you needed that. Uh no, I I think Bungie probably had just as much of an influence on that one. Unless we talk about Destiny for like five hours. I, okay. When it comes to, say, storytelling and putting it all over the place. Yes, absolutely. But with specifically with regards to Halo, mm -hmm. the disdain which Bungie constantly displays for the Halo extended universe is maybe the most hilarious part of this whole thing to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they don't they don't seem to really care too much about it. <laughs> Which seems to serve them just fine as we'll talk about here in a little bit. Yeah. 
But I guess we should talk a little bit about the story of Halo as well as its development, uh, which will will be a little bit brief about the development history of it. But uh, Halo was originally developed by Bungie Studios, um, now Bungie LLC, mm. uh, and later taken over by 343 Industries, which we'll talk a little bit more about in depth in part two. Now, Bungie, before Halo, was known for making first-person shooters in real-time simula- uh, uh, simulators. And, or real-time strategy, I should say. Now, they originally got their started with a series called Marathon, and they'd always had a pretty heavy focus as far as storytelling. I, I'm going to just kind of name off three of their games and their storylines, and I'm going to see if you can pick up a common theme with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marathon, for instance, is about a soldier in the far future where humanity is fighting a genocidal, a genocidal uh, alien race, all while AI are around them going rampant and going crazy and whatnot. Uh, which of course leads into Halo, which is a story about a soldier in the future where humanity is in a war against a genocidal alien race while AI around them are going rampant. Uh, and then eventually, of course, they moved on to Destiny, which is a story about <laughs> uh, a human soldier in the future who fights a genocidal alien race, although this time it's like three of them. Yeah. And also there's an AI race that's trying to murder them. Well, really, there's sort of an upgrade path because Marathon is about fighting one alien race. Mm. And Halo is about fighting multiple alien races working together. And mm-hmm. Destiny is about fighting multiple alien races who are also fighting each other. Yeah, true. That's that's kind of a good point. That's a good point. Uh, they, there is definitely an upgrade path. Yeah. They, somebody was like, let's put a little spin on this every yeah. single time. But I do find it kind of hilarious that like every single yeah. time you're like, what about future soldier? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's It's a thing they go to. It is. So they got done with the Marathon series, which uh, were released for uh, Macintosh systems. Mm-hmm. Like, these were these were Apple products, yeah. essentially. Yeah, Bungie and, was an Apple development house pretty much until Halo. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, they ended up making a real-time strategy game called Myth that we're not going to really talk about. Right. Until they decided, hey, why don't we develop what's eventually going to become the Halo series? Now... Halo has a really weird development in the sense it sort of started out as a first-person shooter at first. Then they went, actually, let's make it a real-time strategy game. And then they pitched that to Apple's Steve Jobs, who was like, all right, yeah, cool. Let's, we're going to display this at Macworld, and we're going to give this a big marketing push. We're going to do all this. And then Steve Jobs' disdain for video games kind of got in the way, and it right. sort of languished, as is want whenever it comes to video games and Steve Jobs. Yeah. <laughs> So it looked like it was not going to happen at all until Microsoft stepped in and said, hey, we got this new console coming out. We need a video game. You think about maybe like retooling this into something else and maybe we could do something with this? And so kind of at the last minute, it became a first-person shooter again. And everything about Halo's development up until its release is kind of insane in the sense of like, they rebuilt the multiplayer entirely, like, mm. like the last couple of weeks before it went gold. Right, yeah. Uh, uh, the single player underwent drastic changes also right up until the last minute. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a really good developer commentary that's done where they talk about, like, one of the levels in in Halo where, like, you have to disable uh, these shield generators by literally just running into them. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we had to do that because the object that we were going to use in that game got cut. Right. <laughs> It's sort of like, well, what do we have? Uh, Master Chief has shields. Maybe his shields can overload these generators. Right. <laughs> and, like, 
they would constantly reuse the same objects and same maps, but they remixed them in such a way that when this game came out, people absolutely loved the single player. People absolutely loved the multiplayer. Yeah. These two things that were built at the absolute last minute. And subsequently, Halo ended up becoming one of the most influential games ever released. First person, Every first-person shooter nowadays, when it comes to their basic control scheme, can trace it back to Halo. Mm-hmm. Just straight up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a significant evolution in first-person multiplayer. And really the only game since then that's come along that's had anywhere close to the influence that it's had is Call of Duty 4. Yep. And even then, it owes a lot to Halo. Yep. So that came out. It was a huge success for Microsoft, which they desperately needed with the Xbox. Oh, uh, yeah. A system that did not have a whole lot of successes, let me tell you. Nah. But it still ultimately would end up selling 5 million copies. Now, Halo on its surface, its story seems very straightforward. It's a story of, that takes place in the far future of the 26th century where humanity, mostly united under one government, has taken to the stars, colonizing a ton of planets, but then all of a sudden ends up in a religious war with an alien race called the Covenant, bent on destroying humanity in order to collect artifacts from this ancient race called the Forerunners. Now, the story in Halo is told in a very straightforward manner. It's very, very easy to follow. Yep. But even before the series became such an overwhelming success, the series was already growing in scope and ambition. The 2001 novel Halo Fall of Reach, for instance, came out, I think, a couple months afterwards. It was, it was released in 2001, mm-hmm. same year as Halo was. And from there, it would only get wilder. Like, by the time Halo 5 is out, there is going to be multiple YouTube series. There are going to be multiple novels, oh, multiple spin, spin-off comics. There was an attempt at getting Peter Jackson to make a Halo series. Multiple attempts at Halo movies in general. I was so hyped for that Peter Jackson series. Oh, my God. Yeah, that Peter Jackson series seemed like it could have been cool. I was like, this is going to be the coolest thing ever. The dude who mm. made Lord of the Rings is making Halo. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah, like hot off the heels of that success. And it's like, it just unfortunately never happened. Yeah. And of course, now there is going to be a Halo series on HBO Max. Sure, uh, sure there is. That would actually seem like it's going to happen. That that is supposedly filming at this point. But well, yeah, we'll see, right? We'll see. But because of all this, though, all these, like a lot of elements are going to be placed in these novels or in these comics and eventually are going to be tied back to these games. This makes this into an incomprehensible mess. Like, a big reason why I wanted to do this, Alex, is because mm-hmm. at, with Halo Infinite coming out, there's a lot of people who have come out and said, I have no idea what goes on in Halo. And then I thought about it and went, I have no idea what goes on in Halo besides genocidal aliens. <laughs> so it was like, okay, let's see if we can't delve into this. And my God, was that a mistake? <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Are we going to talk about Halo Wars? Sadly, yes. Because <laughs> it turns out that's important. Yeah, sadly it is. <laughs> and it shouldn't be, but it, it is. It really shouldn't, but that was actually the first Halo game 343 worked on, I believe. So, yep. And so bring yeah, back it's... the Banished? Yeah, can't wait. We'll be talking about the Banished in part two. It's going to be oh, great. Oh, boy. So, for the purpose of this, since there's so many things that are big and small that go into this, our main focus is only going to be on the mainline games. So that's okay. Halo 1 through 5 and Reach and technically Halo Wars. 
we're not going to go too much into detail about the various spinoff novels or games such as Spartan Strike because they either don't really matter <laughs> or in the case of novels are tantamount to doing homework. Yeah. Now, we are going to touch on them when it matters because once again, unfortunately, Halo pulls in some plot points from the various bits of media and makes them a big deal. Right. Sucks. You ready to talk about some Halo? I am. So yeah, let's talk. Let's do some setup and talk about our two main factions the human-led United Nations Space Command, and the Alien Covenant. So let's start with the UNSC. So after a bunch of civil wars, such as the Rainforest Wars, humanity decides to unite under one government based upon the United Nations of all organizations and begins to colonize the solar system. So things went well for about 200 years as faster-than-light travel was developed. Humanity began to colonize the stars, and a need for resources became an issue. This increasing resource pressure and the long distances between the colonies and Earth led to the colonies to agitate for independence over a 20-year period. These were ejected, so the colonists began to protest. The UNSE, hearing their complaints, decided to nuke one of their colonies in response. <laughs> kind of an escalation. Little bit. This unsurprisingly led to an all-out rebellion that lasted for roughly about 30 years. Now, during this time, despite their overwhelming military advantage, the UNSC just couldn't put the rebellion down. Feeling a bit desperate, they turned to a scientist named Dr. Catherine Halsey for answers. Gee, what did Dr. Catherine Halsey do, Mike? She had a terrible idea. <laughs> what if we kidnap a bunch of children, genetically enhance them, and train them to kill? <laughs> oh, Dr. Halsey is my favorite. She's she's just objectively evil. She is a walking war crime, and it's hilarious. The UNSC, apparently nev having never met a war crime they didn't like, <laughs> agreed, and a Spartan 2 program was conceived. Thanks, Oni. Yeah, they're so great. Oni being the Office of Naval Intelligence, for those you who don't know. Also a reference to Bungie's previous game, Oni. Oh, God, it is, yes. Which, Oni is a Japanese word for, like, a demon-like creature. Mm-hmm. They're a little on the nose. Yeah. Oni is such a good game. Is uh, it? Oni is such a cool idea for a video game. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so the Spartan 2 program proved to be highly effective, and while they couldn't stamp out the insurrection in full... They did beat them back quite considerably and took back the majority of the colonial worlds. The war finally came to an end, though, in the year 2526, when the UNSC received word that insurrectionists had been spotted on the colony planet of Harvest. Upon their arrival, they didn't find insurrectionists, though, but accidentally made first contact with an alien collective known as the Covenant. So let's talk about the Covenant. They're an ancient alien empire with a caste system made up of various species. They are primarily led by two species, the Sanchulium, or prophets, <laughs> weird worm-looking guys who make up the political and religious class, and the other is the Sangheili, which is not how you pronounce that, but... Sangheili, you know. I believe. Sangheili, which are seven-foot-tall bipedal reptiles who make up the warrior caste, and from this point forward, we're just going to refer to them as the elites. So, thank you for immediately bringing up their real names, because mm -hmm. it's my favorite thing to hate about the Halo franchise. Because Bungie, I don't think, ever said or even created those names. 
No, they did not. They're never said they're never said in game. Like the covenant leadership not until like refer to the four. Yeah, they'll like refer to the elites as the elites. Yes. They will refer to grunts as grunts, not the Ukoi. They are purely a creation of the extended universe and of the games that 343 worked on because 343 again loves to bring in the extended universe whereas mm. Bungie absolutely abhorred it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh we're going to be hearing a lot of really dumb alien names yeah. that are not really spoken in game until like Halo 5. It's great. Yeah. So these two races came into contact around 938 BC. And both found they agreed on one thing. They worshipped an alien race called the Forerunners that no longer existed, who had left technology all throughout the galaxy that both races had used to allow themselves to like learn like space travel and whatnot. Unfortunately, that's all they agreed about. And after a big dumb war between them, both <laughs> species are like, ah, maybe we should join up to make the Covenant Empire, a theocratic state dedicated to finding Forerunner artifacts and, more importantly, taking Forerunner artifacts from heretics. So this led to a cycle of aggressive expansion. First contact with an alien species, them blowing said species the hell up, and then incorporating them into their empire as client species. With this, by the time the 20th century rolls around, the Covenant have expanded to include multiple star systems and at least six client races, including the diminutive jackals and grunts to the hulking collection of worms known as the Hunters. All of these races were united under a religion that basically stated the Forerunners made wondrous technology, and before they left for a higher plane, they left their technology for the Covenant to inherit. So back in the year 2526, on the planet Harvest, humanity and the Covenant meet, and things are immediately awkward. It's because, you see, there are Forerunner artifacts on Harvest, including an old Forerunner Dreadnought. So these prophets go down to this Dreadnought, fire it up, and it informs them that, hey... All these humans are what they call reclaimers. This causes the prophets to realize that maybe the forerunners weren't extinct, are actually human, and if they weren't extinct, then maybe they weren't the rightful inheritors of their technology. Which, if that wasn't the case, the entire underpinnings of their religion are false. Right. Whoops. So the prophets buried the truth, declared humanity to be heretics, and had the entire covenant declare a genocidal war on humanity. They glassed the planet of harvest, which is basically just a total orbital bombardment that makes a planet uninhabitable, and proceeded to hunt down humanity wherever they could find it. So what followed was 25 years of more or less the same thing happening. Covenant would discover a human-inhabited planet, a big dumb space battle would happen, the UNSC would lose, and then the planet would get glassed. Now, occasionally, the UNSC would eke out a victory, usually because of two reasons. Uh, human soldiers, while usually hopelessly outgunned, were really good about punching above their weight, which actually impressed the elites. Like, the elites mm -hmm. would often talk about, like, hey, why aren't we just trying to incorporate these people? They're pretty good soldiers. Right. The second is that the Spartans were scary, genetically enhanced monsters mm -hmm. <laughs> and might as well have been an army unto themselves. Despite the fact that only about 28 uh, Spartan twos existed, they were responsible for winning entire battles on their own. And... Only 12 of them ended up ultimately dying. The rest were referred to as demons by the Covenant. Mm. Which I just realized that Oni produced uh, soldiers that were called demons by their enemies. Oh, yeah, huh? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> That's cute. Funny how that works. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's pretty good. I like that. Regardless, the writing was clearly on the wall for humanity. By the end of the war, only two planets remained under UNSC control. Earth and the military headquarters of Reach, the closest known habitable planet to Earth. So, in desperation, the UNSC made two degrees. First, the civilian government was now abolished, and the UNSC was now running everything under martial law. Second, any human ships that encountered the Covenant had to either stand and fight, or jump to a random part of space to prevent the Covenant from discovering Earth. However, this only delayed the inevitable, and soon the Covenant discovered Reach. And with this, we're finally going to talk about our first game chronologically, and the fourth game in the series as a whole. Or, I guess fifth, actually. Halo Reach. In which very few of the things we just discussed have actually been established. Mm-hmm. So Reach, and actually Reach was the sixth game developed in the series. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, you keep going up by numbers, you eventually get to the right one. Yeah. It was the last one developed by series creator Bungie and released in 2010. It's uh, also the last game to receive universal acclaim, which I'm sure is a coincidence. <laughs> so this is a game that's based upon the 2001 novel Halo Fall of Reach and born out of a canceled Halo spinoff involving Peter Jackson. I mean, they deviate quite a bit from the... Yeah, it is it is based on it the way that, I don't know, Saving Private Ryan is based on historical accounts of Operation Overlord, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's close enough. They have the same battle. <laughs> Ish. Sort of. Mm. So, this tells the story of the Battle of Reach through the eyes of Noble Six, a member of a Spartan fire team, as they do what they can to repel the Covenant invasion. It's a story that's like meant to set the stage for the first Halo game, and it has a tone that is very like sacrificial and patriotic. Right. In a way that's kind of almost off-putting. It's, it's a uh, war movie. It is, and I, I think the best way to describe this is... Uh, Alex, have you ever heard of a book called Hero Tales from American History? No, I have not. Not surprised, because this was a book that was written by two jingoists in 1895. Okay. Uh, specifically... Henry Cabot Lodge and Theodore Roosevelt. Ah. Oh. Yes. It's a book that basically exists to go, hey, isn't war great? And aren't Americans cool when they fight wars? Right. Which the UNSC, by the way, is literally just US, mil uh, U.S. Marines. Yeah, absolutely. To the point that, like, when they introduce a British character, this British character talks with American accents. It's great. <laughs> so, in it... They do tell one story that is undoubtedly bullshit of a color bearer, so like a man who carries a flag, essentially, mm -hmm. who, despite being wounded and having his arm broken by Confederate soldiers, refuses to let the flag hit the ground. Mm. And it was so awe-inspiring that the company commander had his troops go back and get the flag from him, and how when he finally did die, he was standing in a way that would have prevented the colors from hitting the ground. Some of the cutscenes in Reach give off that tone. Yeah. Which is... Frankly amazing when you remember all these characters are former child soldiers fighting for a military <sighs> dictatorship. It's great. Again, I don't know if Bungie ever established or signed on to that backstory. True, true, but still, Bungie was great. just like, they're, they're super soldiers and they're super cool and they fight real good. What if they shot these aliens good? <laughs> and then someone else is like, well, what if they were backed by a fascist government? And it's like, ah, oh, wait, hold mm. on. <laughs> We just want to make a cool war game <laughs> that might be slightly influenced by the war on terror. But Maybe. yeah. So we're not going to spend a lot of time recounting Reach. But in short, Noble Team is tasked to fight some insurrectionists where they 
when they instead discover that the Covenant are invading. Mm-hmm. And after getting briefed by a rather hard-assed and sarcastic Dr. Catherine Halsey, they discover they're here for a forerunner artifact that could lead to something really big, something that could end the war. So they fight not only to repel the Covenant, but also recover and secure this artifact, all while members of the Noble team are being picked off one by one. Eventually, though, they do get this artifact and get Dr. Halsey off-world safely. Now, before Dr. Halsey leaves, though, she gives Noble Six, the player character, an AI called Cortana, created from a brain scan of herself, and she tells him to deliver her and the artifact to the Pillar of Autumn. He manages to do so and covers the Autumn's escape, dying in the process. As per protocol, the Autumn then makes a random jump into space to draw the Covenant away and keep them from finding Earth. Now, this captain who's on this ship, Captain Keys, unbeknownst to him, when he orders the AI Cortana to do this, she inserts data from the decoded artifact, and instead it leads them to a giant ring world, and the setting of the next game we're going to be talking about. The first game in the series, Halo Combat Evolved. So, Halo Combat Evolved. Hell of a game. Yes, absolutely. Takes place shortly after Reach. Halo opens with the Pillar of Autumn in an undisclosed star system. Now, the Pillar of Autumn is like basically one of humanity's most powerful ships, and also one of their oldest as well. Mm -hmm. And we cut to the bridge where we see Captain Jacob Keyes express astonishment to the ship's AI Cortana that the Covenant somehow managed to beat them to their jump point. Cortana informs Keyes that the Covenant were lying in wait for them, and in about 90 seconds, the fleet would be all over them. So Keyes orders everyone on combat alert and to prepare for battle. And then we see like the UNSC Marines getting ready for combat. And we are introduced to a yet unnamed, but in the future, very important character. Yep. Staff Sergeant Avery Johnson. Who definitely survives this game. Definitely does. Totally. A cigar-chomping African-American Marine who's the most stereotypical Marine drill sergeant you could think of. But Uh, also one of my favorite characters. He's so great. He's so great. Johnson's so great. Yeah, this game does do um, a real fun thing. Like, almost um, Half-Life sort of thing, where, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) like... They have a character that's voiced by a very specific person. And, like, you see this character... Like, you can see uh, Staff Sergeant Johnson die multiple times in Halo. Yes. <laughs> but he's going to come back somehow, and it's great. Because they go, ah, it's, it's great. He's like Barney from Halo, uh, from Half-Life. Yeah. Well, yeah, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He's fine. <laughs> so, after briefing his Marines, we then meet our main character as he's being taken out of cryostasis. John 117. A Spartan 2, from this point forward, is just going to be referred to by his rank, Master Chief. (laughs) Master Chief might be one of the most popular characters that has barely any sort of characterization ever. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. He is an incredibly stoic, eight-foot-tall man. (laughs) Eight-foot-tall because he's been genetically enhanced since the age of, like, 12. Uh, He was, of course, one of the uh, kids that was kidnapped at, like, age six and replaced with a clone of himself. And... After surviving the brutal, you know, boot camp and whatnot, he became one of the best soldiers that that was ever produced in the Spartan program, which is saying a lot considering every Spartan is basically a murder machine. Yep. But yeah, very gravely voiced, very speaks very, very much in at times a monotone tone, uh, clad in green armor, much like um, much like a lot of first person shooter protagonists based essentially mm-hmm. based upon the Doom guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's a um, he's a cool dude. So. The Master Chief makes his way up to Captain Keys, who informs him that things are bad. 
despite Cortana managing to take out a bunch of Covenant ships, they are still basically screwed. They're mm -hmm. even more screwed when a Covenant landing party manages to sneak on board. With that, Keys decides to abandon ship and orders everyone to escape pods with the intent of landing the Autumn on the weird structure they discovered, the ring world known as Halo. Keys then gives the Chief the high, a final order. He has Cortana uploaded into Chief's suit, and he's told to escort her out of there and protect her at all costs from the Covenant. And with that, we now have the duo that's going to be together for the vast majority of the next four games or so, with mm -hmm. the Master Chief and Cortana based... Well, really more Cortana speaking to Chief, and did Chief not saying anything? Basically, but, yeah. But a, a duo that works far better than it probably should. I really like the interplay that Master Chief and Cortana have over the course of the series. I do, too. So... Master Chief, Cortana, Sergeant Johnson, and a contingent of Marines managed to escape the Autumn and land on the Halo. After a fierce firefight on the ground where Chief basically kills at least a battalion or two of a couple <laughs> of soldiers, he meets up with the rest of the survivors from the Autumn, who have temporarily set up a command base to fight the Covenant and figure out what exactly they even landed on. Shortly after this, we learned Captain Keyes was captured by the Covenant. So Chief and a team of Marines sneak, and sneak is in quotes, onto a Covenant ship called the Truth and Reconciliation, murdering seemingly every Covenant soldier on board, rescuing Keys and making their way back to their makeshift base. Keys then informs the Chief and Cortana that he overheard the Covenant guards talking. You know, gives us the name of the ring, which is Halo, mm. and notes it's a place of strategic and religious significance to the Covenant. So it's after this the Marines and Master Chief go and fight the Covenant at various locations in order to get more information about the Halo, as well as find the control room to it as well, since they figure out it's a weapon. They get this information from something called the Silent Cartographer. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of things that are going to be named really dumb things like that. I it's love great. Fungi's naming. It's wonderful. It's, it's one so of the best good. things 343 kept going forward. Yep. <laughs> as well as the fact that the ring has like a weapon cache somewhere underground as well, like they learned that. Mm. And so with that, Chief of Cortana go to the ring while Captain Keys, Sergeant Johnson, and a team of Marines go to find the weapons cache. Upon arrival at the control center, Cortana is uploaded to the Halo database, and she is ecstatic at all this cool information she has at her fingertips. And the Chief's like, hey, no, can you focus on using the Halo against the Covenant? That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. And like, she's like really upset at him, like this entire time. She's like, oh, you Philistine, you idiots. Yeah. Don't you know this information and whatnot? It's a good opposites interplay. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. It's really good. I like it. So as Cortana digs deeper, though, she immediately realizes there's something wrong with the Halo mm -hmm. and immediately tells the Chief they need to find keys as the Covenant have unleashed something terrible. So Chief goes to his last known location and finds only a bunch of dead Covenant and Marines and no Captain Keys. And after exploring a temple, he's immediately attacked by these creatures that are clearly mutated Covenant and humans with weird gross and tentacles and is forced to like make like a quick retreat. Like they're like nearly impossible to kill as well. Mm -hmm. Once he gets outside, a strange floating mechanical orb speaks very formally to Master Chief. It introduces itself as a forerunner construct known as 343 Guilty Spark, the monitor of Installation 04, who informs him that the Flood, a hardy species that reproduces by corrupting other life, has been unleashed, and he must come with him to put a stop with it. So the chief is transported to the library, a structure deep underground overrun by Flood, where he handily dispatches, like, all these Flood, while Guilty Spark talks about the Halo was made to, like, stop the Flood, and how only a Reclaimer can activate it, and how it's really, really important. 
It is very difficult to hear any of this explanation over the gunfire against the <laughs> unstoppable horde of flood that occurs in this level. Yes, it is incredibly. It is the most oh. important exposition in the game, and it is so hard to hear. Yeah, and this is before subtitles were a common thing in video games. Yeah. So you just hear this, like, small, formally speaking, like, orb from far away being like, oh, yes, and I need to tell you about how the gamers are going to... Bang! Bang! <laughs> All going on. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's... Oh, God. The library is such a mess. It's a... It's the worst mission in the game for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> so... They go and get the an object called the index and are transported to a to the control room. Like Guilty Spark is just able to just like teleport Chief wherever he wants, mm -hmm. except to the places they really need to go. <laughs> it's great. So Chief is just about to activate the Halo when Cortana pops up and is like, "You idiot! You moron! What are you doing?" <laughs> so Chief tries to explain to Cortana that activating the ring will kill the flood, and Cortana very sarcastically tells him, "No, stupid! It'll kill their food, which is us." And everything in the galaxy. It's literally made a weapon made to kill all life in the galaxy. So this is when Guilty Spark pipes mm. up like, nah, -uh, that's not true. It'll only kill like a fifth of the galaxy's life. We we need to activate the rest of the rings to wipe out everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really nice like how like upfront he is with the plan. Mm -hmm. Like I think his literal line is like, eh, more or less. Yeah. So Chief is not on board with this plan. So Guilty Spark says, eh, that's cool. Just find another human, I guess. And immediately tries to kill Chief to get the index back, which fails. Yeah. So now Master Chief has to fight not only Covenant, Flood, but now weird Forerunner drones. He's making a lot of friends on this trip. The, 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 it's worth pointing out, I think, that this, um, this plot point about what the Halos actually do actually lands really well. Mm-hmm. But it is really stupid. <laughs> like, when you're yeah. playing it, it kind of works. But in retrospect, it's like, why would that be your plan? Yeah, yeah. It, it comes off as, like, a real, real harsh solution to the problem. You're like, I, I feel like there's just a better way of doing this. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it, it does land really well. If you're like, oh, this ain't good. And now, oh no, now I'm being attacked by, like, Forerunner Sentinels now. It's like, well, at least we got a cool new enemy type. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are yeah. actually pretty rad. They are, they are pretty rad. Like many things in Halo, pretty rad. Also, this, I can't remember if this comes up before Halo 3 or if it's just sort of implied that the Forerunners fired the halos before and that's why they're not around anymore oh yeah yeah it's it's implied in halo one yeah which then begs the question okay so then why are the floods still around oh yeah i think it's explained that they were trapped inside of the rings and you can't kill anything that's actually on the rings right which to then you might ask why were the flood on the rings that's a good question that is a good just... question that will never be answered it will never, ever be answered. And it's like, it's not just that, like, it doesn't, the way they explain it, it's not just like, oh, some of the Flood got onto the Halos and therefore they survived, to which you would ask, okay, then what did they eat? Yeah, yeah. The the, the implication is that they essentially starved to death, but there are still spores around, but yeah, it's... Right. 
And then, like, when the Covenant, like, came in, they're like, ah, there we go. So then wouldn't the spores just hang around everywhere until new life developed that could support them? Yeah. Yeah, you would think so. But also, it's, like, implied that the Flood were being, like, contained in containment centers on the Halos. Yeah, which is, like, why do that? Why? Why would, why? That seems like it's going to blow up in your face, which I guess it kind of did. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's a plot hmm. point that doesn't that works in the moment, but yeah, like you said, does not work when you right. like, think it's, about it. It is like it, it's actually the biggest problem with the plot, which is if this was designed to stop the flood and it was used, why are there still flood? Yeah, because you want to have cool zombie enemies. It's like yeah, I don't know. and we kind of finalized the story at the last minute and little <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's really, a, it's really a miracle that the story of Halo comes together, like the first game anyways, comes uh-huh. together as well as it does, given uh, the rather last-minute nature of everything. Which is a trend that will continue with Bungie. Oh boy, I can't wait to talk about Halo 3. <laughs> <laughs> so, continuing on, Cortana comes up with a plan to keep the Covenant from controlling Halo and kill the Flood at the same time. They're going to blow up the Pillar of Autumn's nuclear core, shattering the ring. Bad news is they can't do that without Captain Key's neural implants. Good news, Cortana found him. And it's back at the Truth and Reconciliation. Bad news, once they get there, it's overrun by Flood, and Keys is dead, halfway transformed and attached to a weird giant Flood sack. So Chief just smashes his head open and takes the implant. Yeah. And then steals a Covenant aircraft and and takes it to the Pillar of Autumn. So to get there, fight through a ton of Flood, and prime the core to explode only to run into Guilty Spark again, who's like, okay, I was just here learning about human history. Oh, uh, by the way, disable the core meltdown. Take that. So Master Chief just does it himself by cracking the core shielding with grenades. This puts into meltdown, and after an escape craft, and after like finding an escape craft, they fly off the halo, just as the ring explodes, well, Pillar of Autumn explodes, shattering the ring and destroying Installation 04. As they leave... Cortana confirms they are the only survivors. She then says it's all over, only for Chief to take off his helmet and say, no, it's only just begun. You, you don't see his face, by the right. way. Just, it's off screen. But yeah, that is Halo. Not bad. Good, good. relatively self-contained story. You got yep. a good little sequel hook there. Yep. Very enjoyable story for a very enjoyable game. But Alex, I feel like it's not complicated enough. So did Microsoft, apparently. Yeah, and those elites are really cool. So... They're really cool. Let's learn all about the elites. That definitely won't negatively impact the coolness of them at all. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. So, yeah, in 2004, Halo 2 was released to major fanfare. It's the best-selling Xbox game that was uh, released for the platform. Right? Eight million copies, I believe, sold. Yeah, Halo 2 was a massive deal when it came out it it is yeah and while everybody hated the ending i think (laughs) a lot of people definitely agree that the game itself was a lot of fun to play yes the game is Uh, quite good yeah and that's despite the fact that they really had to cut back on their scope and ambition for it like it's a game that looks really good for the time but the Mm -hmm. xbox simply wasn't able to handle like some of the more wide open vistas they wanted to do so no there is a tech demo uh, that came out probably a year and a half before the game released, which is simply, for the most part, not present in Halo 2. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, driving around the city of New Mombasa and whatnot. Yeah. And like, wide open um, areas. Yeah. It's it's really too bad. It's like Halo Infinite almost is going to be, like, what they were trying to do, it seems like. Halo Infinite seems like it's going to be a lot of things that various Halo games wanted to be, but then mm-hmm. were not able to be. Like, the, the original, even after they cut Halo 1 back to a first-person shooter, they still had intent for a lot of, like, open-world elements with it mm-hmm. that there are aspects of open worldiness in the final game but not nearly to the degree that they were thinking about yeah. oh yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah and um yeah it'll be interesting to see how halo infinite handles that yeah. but uh yeah with halo 2 they even with all those cutbacks it still ended up being i mean one of my favorite games ever yeah. I, I love halo 2 an awful lot its story is a mess. Yes. And, like, people give Halo 3 a lot of crap, but... Oh, I, it started in Halo 2, baby. Oh, it yeah. It started there. I, I would like to play a game as we talk about Halo 2, which is at certain points, as you discuss plot points of Halo 2, I would like to interject with one of two questions. Either how or why. <laughs> and I may or may not have the answer for you on those. <laughs> Let's find out as we talk about the plot of Halo 2. So Halo 2, we're going to do things slightly out of order. Okay. It doesn't quite open up with this, but this is by kind of the more logical starting point, I would, I think. Mm-hmm. And it starts with us on a space station orbiting the Earth. Mm-hmm. As the Master Chief is being outfitted with some new armor by our good and somehow not dead friend, Sergeant Johnson. How? Who apparently, <laughs> who apparently somehow made it off the Halo 2. Now, good question. <laughs> Because when we last saw him, he was being infected by the flood and dead. But or it turns out alternatively, a... uh, fighting an elite to the death and then hugging it out as the Pillar of Autumn exploded. If you oh, saw yes. the legendary ending. Yeah, either, either of the two, yes. So no, it turns out Sergeant Johnson had a rare neurological syndrome that kept him from being infected by the flood. So when he woke up, he found a bunch of other Marines... They stole a forerunner ship and were able to fly their way off the halo ring before it exploded. Which all of this is detailed in the novel First Contact. Mm-hmm. However, the problem with First Contact is that it also involves some of Master Chief's very much alive Spartan Two peers, which mm-hmm. Bungie does not want any other Spartan Twos to be alive. The Master Chief is the last Spartan, the last Spartan, a claim that becomes more hilarious with every other piece of Halo media that comes out. (laughs) Yeah, until they eventually settle on, well, actually less than half of them died in the war. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, okay. (laughs) Uh, I can't wait till we meet uh, Master Chief's uh, Spartan friends in Halo 5. Yeah. Oh, God. You know, I want to give some more uh, fun Sergeant Johnson facts. Um, yes, please. Uh, he was one of the original um, Special Forces operatives, like before, like the Spartan program was even a thing. Mm-hmm. He's also in his seventies by the time this game is <laughs> rolled around. Literally, was serving in the military before even the insurrections were a thing. <laughs> like, he doesn't look seventy at all, but he no, is. It's the future. Yeah, and he's like this really important guy who's done these really important missions, yet. In Halo 2, he finally gets a promotion to Staff Sergeant Major. 
which is great. It's like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> he should be like a five-star general at this point. Yeah, or something. Like, at least he should be at the, like, the highest enlisted rank. Yeah. But apparently they don't even bother with that until literally this game. <laughs> so great. Fantastic. <laughs> Serving the military for 50 years. Um... So yeah, he's he's great, but he's there with a bunch of like cool lines and constantly chopping on a cigar, and he's wonderful. He's great, best character by far. Best character by far. So they're talking and whatnot. They they head down to an atrium where they are going to be given commendations for their actions on the Halo ring by Fleet Admiral Terence Hood, a supposedly British noble <laughs> with a very American accent and Who's leader of all UNSC by forces. Ron Perlman. Yes. <laughs> by Ron Perlman. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> the best part is in Halo 3, they start calling him Lord Hood because he's a British noble, but it's like, stop. Stop it. Okay, see, I thought they called him Lord Hood because the UNSC had gone under um, military... Uh, oh, yeah, it became a military dictatorship? Yeah. Was, I forget what the what it's called when you do that as a contingency. Mm, but yeah, Martial he, law, he, yeah. Martial law, yes, thank you. But yeah, he basically became like military emperor of the unsc nah he's just a british noble okay that's, that's, why. that's also fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's great it's, it's so great dumb. but ron so perlman's also, awesome ron perlman's awesome yeah there's a lot of very awesome voice actors there We're are gonna meet another one very soon oh, yes we also meet a new character miranda keys the daughter of captain keys and as we'll later learn not in the games of Dr. Catherine Halsey as well. Miranda is a captain in her own right, and she's accepting Jacob Keyes' post-humorous awards on his behalf. Wait, wait, she's Halsey's daughter? Yeah. I never knew that. I Congratulations! Never knew that. That's so dumb. Oh, God, oh, that's so stupid. The opening of Halo 5 has, like, Halsey's office, and you see a picture of Miranda Keyes on on the desk oh. and it's literally just a it's literally just a screenshot of how Miranda looks in the anniversary edition for Halo 2 as well. Oh god. <laughs> it's so good. That's I love it. So terrible. It's so terrible. But yeah, it's that's only detailed in the novels. Right, right. So, this is all cut short when Cortana gives everyone the bad news. The Covenant are here with 15 ships to invade Earth. They immediately board the station and are fought off by the Master Chief, who also prevents the station by blowing up in a really cool scene. Yes. Where he pushes a bomb off and somehow steers it through space into another ship. So shortly after this, okay. the Covenant... Oh, go ahead. How did the Covenant find Earth? If I remember correctly, it's because they found a Forerunner artifact that led them to Earth in order to find something called the Ark. Right. Okay. Yes. yes. Also detailed in the novels. So... So, yeah. They're, so, they end up uh, landing in the city of New Mombasa in East Africa, prompting the chief, Sergeant Johnson, and Cortana to follow them. During all this, Cortana picks up Covenant transmissions where they basically talk about their surprise that any humans are here at all, and given the small fleet they brought, she reasons they must be here for something else. Like, they're literally like, mm -hmm. oh, whoa, this is a lot of prepared defense. We are not prepared for this at all. <laughs> They, Which is really... They super were, though. They tore through our defenses in, like, an hour. <laughs> I mean, true, true. <laughs> Technological superiority, man. She further finds out the fleet is being headed by one of the religious leaders, the Prophet of Regret. So, 
The uh, High Council of the Covenant is made up of three prophets. The Prophet of, of Truth, Mercy, and Regret. And we're going to meet all three of them. And they're all going to be various degrees of suck. Yep. It's going to be fun. So the UNSC basically destroys this fleet, except for Regret's flagship. And in desperation, like Regret tries to warp out the system. But not before a single ship commanded by Miranda Keys manages to follow it with Avery and Master Chief on board. Okay, again, I want to point out the UNSC destroyed their entire fleet mm -hmm. despite the fact that, like, the vaunted orbital defense platforms that are basically just space stations attached to giant railguns got, mm -hmm. like, wiped out in an hour. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> How did we destroy the entire fleet? With, oh, with you what? know. I Gunpowder and grit, man. <laughs> Off screen where nobody had to look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, not well explained. Like Master As, Chief blew up one ship. But it was a very important ship, I'm sure. I guess so. <laughs> so yeah, that all happens. But shortly before all this, the and the real opening scene of the game... We find that a schism has started to form in the Covenant ranks, and we are given a glimpse of this when we cut to the Covenant homeworld, a giant floating space station called High Charity, and see a scene of the trial of a Covenant elite, Commander Theovadami, who led the Covenant forces at the Halo. He's before the High Council of the Prophets of Truth, Mercy, and Regret over his failure to prevent the destruction of Halo. Despite his explanation, they sentence him to torture and death for heresy, and he is taken to the torture room by a new species we haven't met yet called Jerhali, or the Brutes, as we'll call them. A species of eight-foot-tall ape turtles that are more ape than turtle. He is given the mark of shame by the Brute Chieftain, a guy named Tartarus, and he is being prepped for death when, surprise, the prophets want to see him again. They tell him that actually... They don't think he's a heretic, and this was all for show. But he did fail, and he has a chance to redeem his failure, and they name him the Arbiter. The Arbiter might actually be the best character in all of Halo. The Arbiter is pretty great, and he's probably great coincidentally, because coincidentally, he's also voiced by Keith David. Yeah. That, and that Keith David hurt. cannot voice a bad role. Nope. Nope. Impossible. Um, mm -hmm. A more interesting version of Halo's narrative would probably have the Arbiter as the protagonist. It probably would. Yeah. I really, really like the Arbiter. The Arbiter's so cool. He's so cool. He's so Speaking cool. of, let's talk about what Arbiters even are. So Arbiters are exceptional warriors clad in ancient armor, the same set of ancient armor uh, as previous Arbiters. Mm -hmm who are called upon to do ridiculously suicidal tasks that are necessary for the survival of the Empire. Coincidentally, that ancient armor is far inferior to modern armor. Yes. And... <laughs> it it's, makes no sense. It makes no sense. And to be fair, it, these people are expected to die. Yeah. It's ridiculously suicidal because they are expected to die in battle, thus redeeming them. So he's given the ancient armor, which is, once again, horribly outdated, mm. and told to go kill a bunch of heretics. And instead of dying like he was supposed to, he instead succeeds. Mm -hmm. Much to like everyone's surprise, like, oh, huh, good, good job, I guess. Yeah. He kills the leader of the heretics and discovers they have an oracle who's been spreading dangerous lies. And that oracle is 343 Guilty Spark, who is somehow still alive. How? 
I think he literally was just floating through space, <laughs> and then the Covenant ship found him. I think that is literally the explanation. Great. Okay. Yeah. Believe it or not, how was not he in be the... space? I mean that that halo blew up good. Yeah. How was he Prob- not on it? Oh, I mean he was on it. I mean, I mean, listen, you. I you guess put it didn't enough vaporize force. the the halo. Yeah, yeah, and if you put enough force behind an object, you can get it out of gravity well. Yeah. So, we're going to get back to the Arbiter in a second. But now it's time to see what Master Chief is up to. Turns out the Prophets of Truth's ship warped to a new halo, called the Delta Halo, uh, also known as Installation 03, if I remember correctly. We learned that the Covenant believe activating the halo will lead them to a higher plane of existence, and they are already on the surface figuring out how to do that. Good news is that they can't actually activate it themselves. They need a reclaimer to do that. So the chief drops down with a bunch of marines to stop that from happening. He fights his way to regret, jumps onto his dumb hover chair that he's in, and proceeds to punch him to death, and um, you know basically kills him. Unfortunately, High Charity and a Covenant fleet show up and immediately start bombing the temple Master Chief is in. So he jumps into a lake only to be dragged into the depths below by a tentacle. Oh no! Oh, I can't. I it's gonna be good, <laughs> but we'll get back to that in a second. Okay, so I do. I do real quickly want to just touch on how all that goes because mm-hmm. you get to the halo, and Miranda Keys is like, "You need to go down and find Regret and get him to tell us what's going on." And then you go down there, and then Cortana intercepts some transmissions from Truth. That's like, hey, you messed up by going ahead, to which I ask, why did he go ahead? Mm. And then Miranda Keys is like, okay, go kill him. To which I go, wait, don't you want to interrogate him? And then a whole (laughs) bunch of Covenant ships show up, and Cortana's like, we need to get to Regret first and kill Mm. him. (laughs) And I'm like why well i wonder if it, in that case they were thinking like oh no they're tr- probably going to try to distract him but it really comes off as like oh no they were there to actually just kill him this entire time right so couldn't we have let him them do that and also we need to kill him before they can rescue him why who cares i mean i mean he's a major he's one of their major leaders you know yeah kind of decapitate leadership but they have two more does yeah, it help but- it's still probably a pretty big morale blow. I don't know. It, it, there's, there are many ways to interpret this, but I, I, I could totally see the reasoning of like, no, we need to get there and kill him before he gets out of here. Right. So, but yeah, unfortunately, this seems to have been part of the Covenant's plan in the first place. Because right. back on High Charity, we see the Arbiter has, as he meets with Tartarus and the remaining prophets of truth and mercy. He is told by the prophets very calmly that the elites have failed them by failing to protect regret. And as such, they are stripped of all their roles, and the brutes are now in charge of the military and protecting them from now on. So this seems like it was a very planned coup on their part. Because mm-hmm. the elites are on the same level as the prophets, or theoretically are. Right. Whereas the brutes are definitely not. And the brutes are portrayed as a kind of stupid alien race. Right. Basically, very, very tough and very, very strong, but eh, as far as, like, being able to think for themselves, eh, not so much. Yeah, you know, brutes. Yeah, hence the name, right? So, 
Yeah, it seems like it was very much planned to uh, replace an equal race with a client race. Right. So this happens, and he's given a new mission. Go to the Delta Halo's control room and get the index so they can fire the ring and go on the great journey together. So the Arbiter does just that, getting to the control room and running it to Sergeant Avery and Miranda. He manages to fight them off and gets a hold of the index, only to be betrayed by Tartarus, who literally just shows up. Yep. And then, like, punches him and is immediately like, hey, we need these humans to fire the ring. And also, I've been, we've been ordered to kill you and all of your kind. Just gonna let you know that. And uh, you're not gonna go on the great journey with us, because we're gonna kill you before that. So, toss you into this convenient pit. <laughs> and this pit, very conveniently, takes him to a shadowy place, where Master Chief just happens to be. Also the flutter there. Yep, because uh, that big old tentacle comes out and it calls itself the Grave Mind, the leader of the flood. It does not call itself the Grave Mind. Cortana calls it that for some reason. Right. My <laughs> correction. Cortana calls it the Grave Mind, the leader of the flood. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So, you're probably wondering how this thing even exists. I am. So it turns out the flood got loose on the Delta Halo a long time ago How? and managed to re- eh, just containment failure and managed to reproduce enough that it gained with a what? significant out of plants. <laughs> <laughs> Birds, Sorry, please go on. Gained a significant amount of intelligence and formed as a creature. Now before the chief and arbiter, which is like just a mass of tentacles and like a very mouthy mouth, and it's really awful looking it's, in a good way. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. While all three of these characters are clearly at odds, Gravemind convinces the arbiter his religion is a sham <laughs> and proposes a truce. Yeah, he Based just kind upon- of is like, "Hey, they lied to you anyway. Do what I want." Yeah, and like he he does this because like he gets like uh, regrets body and regrets like. Oh, I, we need to go on the great journey. And he, like, he has the monitor for the station also captured. He's like, oh, yeah, no, that's called killing all life. And he's like, those are the same thing. <laughs> Which is like, no shit. <laughs> and Arbiter's like, ah, oh, I see. Huh, yeah. Well, that's a bummer. Guess the entire underpinning of my religion is false. Cool. So he proposes a truth, truce between these three parties based upon the fact that none of them want the ring to fire. So he transports the Elo- the Arbiter to just outside the Delta Halo control room, and he teleports the Master Chief and Cortana to high charity. So Chief lands in the same room as the Prophets of Truth and Mercy, and they're all like, ah, uh, yeah, and immediately run away. Mm. So Chief takes off after them, and during the fight, like throughout the ship we witnessed the elites and brutes are fighting each other get reports of like covenant ships firing on each other and just learn in general that the covenant are now engaged in civil war also the flood have managed to seize like miranda's ship and have now crashed it into high charity how well i didn't put this part in but high charity warps into the same system as um uh the delta halo so like right. i guess the flood just like infect enough humans get on miranda's ship and <laughs> Oh, that's the right. Sky. The Flood can fly planes. Yeah, Flood can fly planes. <laughs> and I guess Miranda just landed her ship at some point. That part is actually confusing. But regardless, the Flood are now on high charity and are infecting everything. 
So Chief manages to catch up with the Prophet Mercy, who is half-infected at this point, and is told that Truth is on his way to Earth to destroy it and activate something called the Ark. Cortana is pretty adamant that he needs to go and stop Truth, and she decides to stay behind on high charity and destroy the Delta Halo. Her idea is to take control of Miranda's ship, slam into the ring, blow up the reactor with the ring on it, because it worked once before. Chief is like, yeah, it's not the most original plan, but right. we know it works. <laughs> so Chief makes his way to a Forerunner Dreadnought that just happens to be there and takes off to Earth. Back on the Halo, Arbiter meets up with a bunch of elite forces engaged against the Brutes and learns that they have killed their entire leadership structure. So he's like, oh man, that sucks. I guess I'm the highest ranking elite <laughs> person here now. So now he's pretty much on board with murdering every Brute he could find. And after rescuing Sergeant Johnson, they immediately propose the truce so they can get to the control room. They manage to get there only to find Tartarus forcing Miranda to activate the rank, like literally forcing mm -hmm. her hand to push the index down. And a big old dumb fight happens where in the end, the Arbiter and Avery manage to kill Tartarus and stop the ring from firing. However, before they can celebrate, Guilty Spark shows up to tell them that this just put all the rings in standby mode, ready to be remotely fired from the Ark. We then cut to Earth mid-battle, and Master Chief arriving on the Dreadnought. Admiral Hood gets in contact with them, asking what's going on, and Chief re simply responds that he's here to finish the fight. And Alex, mm -hmm. next time, we're going to finish that fight, because much like Halo 2, we need to leave this on a cliffhanger. Oh boy. <laughs> and next time, we're going to be talking about Halos 3 through 5, where we finish the fight, and then have to figure out how are we going to restart a fight, and then... <sighs> Also learn, can an eight-foot-tall man-murder child and a sentient AI slowly going crazy, if they can fall in love. <laughs> but that will be for next time. Alex, how do you feel right now? I, I feel, I don't know. I've gone through so many stages with Halo in my life. I'm like, at this mm. point, I'm like, it's it's Halo. Yeah. Halo is an entirely unique pile of nonsense that only compounds on itself with time. Yeah. Yeah, it really, really only does. It's kind of wondrous about that. And it is, I mean, it's, it's really good, um, really good example of what is kind of like almost like the thesis statement yes. of this podcast of like, mm. hey, it starts out mm. relatively simple. But then it just doesn't ever go away until just more things get bolted yeah, on and bolted and, on and bolted on. And then you, to to my mind, it was always you hit the grave mind, and from there it just spirals. Mm hmm. Yeah. You just you hit this monster creature that no one ever bothers to really explain, and then things just kind of happen. Yeah. And then yeah, get Bungie gets into a big fight with Microsoft about property rights and project management and extended universe contrivances. Mm -hmm. And you end up with Destiny in Halo 4. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Every time, every time Destiny is just mentioned, I go, oh, man. Yep. Yep. <sighs> it is a straight line from Halo 2 to Destiny. It that is actually completely true. There's a really good article on Vice uh, as part of their uh, as part of Waypoint. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called the Complete Untold History of Halo. It's a, it's a verbal history from the developers right. of Halo, 
it matches it. Yeah, no, like by Halo 3, they were done. They did not want anything else to do with Halo. And they helped. that's what helped negotiate their exit from the Halo franchise, right. which would eventually lead to Destiny. Yep. Yeah, for reasons that we probably aren't going to get entirely into, but we'll touch on a little bit next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, I think my thoughts are like, you know, by this point, the Halo franchise, I'm like, yeah, no, all right. I'm ready to finish the fight. Yeah. Can't wait to do that. It's going to be real great. Mm-hmm. Want to see how that's going to go. Disappointed <sighs> by that ending. Yeah. But that's all right. But yeah, next time we'll uh, we'll finish all that up and, boy, get into some really, really dumb stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you all for joining us today. I definitely do appreciate you all listening in. And Alex, thank you so much for, you know, doing this with me as always. Of course. And if you all want to hear more episodes like this, you should go to ftp.podbean.com to see more episodes or look for Fallen Through Plot Holes or FTP on your podcast service of choice. But yeah, with that, we're going to take off, everybody, and see you next week. Take care, everyone. Take care.